Hi, Steve. How are you going? Not too bad. Thank you. Thanks for um, joining me on Zoom again to um, answer a few questions on Q&A that we didn't get to in person. Um, I think that's the first time that that's ever happened. <laughs> so it was definitely... Hopefully not the last time. Yeah, hopefully not the last time. I, I do like getting a lot of questions in. Um, super interesting uh, passage that we looked at. It was only four verses long, I think. Um Revelation 20, 11 to 15. Yeah, so only four verses long, but um, I don't know, must have generated about 15 or 20 questions. Um, so we're just going to go through the questions that we didn't touch on Sunday. All right, you ready to go? Yeah, ready? As best as, you know, <laughs> as ready as I can be, I guess. Yeah. Um, first one. If we can be removed from the book of life, can people be added to the book of life? Okay. Now, the reference to people being removed from the book of life that I mentioned last time. So it's Revelation chapter 3, verse 5. So the person who is victorious will not have their name erased from the book of life. Okay, so erasure from the book of life can definitely happen. Also in Psalm 69, verse 28, there's the only Old Testament reference that I could find to the book of life. Uh, David's being opposed by some enemies and he asks the Lord, may they be blotted out of the book of life. May they not be recorded with the righteous. Okay, so you can see the names, people who have their names in the book of life, they're considered to be the righteous. And so we do get this idea of blotting at least twice. We've got two mm. biblical references to blotting or erasure or a name taken out of the book of life. So definitely that can happen. And we talked a little bit about that before. But what about the question of people being added into the book of life? There are no verses that talk about that. Okay, the only verses... And then majority of them are in the book of Revelation. They talk about names either being in the book of life or can be removed from the book of life, or it talks about when the names were written in the book of life. Okay, so we said before how the names have been written in the book of life before the foundation of the world. So basically, I think you get heaps of names written in before the world's actually created. And then we get to see God at work as human history works itself out. And in the end, I think it's a work of God's spirit as God works in those whom he has chosen to respond to the gospel, then people respond. And I think probably, well, the majority of those, at least we hope it's the majority of those that God starts to work in in terms of the spirit, uh, then he completes that work. I did mention how there are some people who seem to have a temporary work of the spirit in their life. Remember how we talked about the parable of the sower? Two of the seeds actually fall into the ground and produce life, but it's only temporary life, but it's only the seed that falls in the good ground that's going to produce life unto the harvest, uh, produce fruit. So uh, given all of that, I think we can say, no, we don't get people added to the book of life mm. over time. Do you know what I mean? Like I think from our perspective, we might want to say, and I, I think probably it, it could be fitting in with this image that, okay, when people believe Jesus, 
and are grafted into the body of Christ, in a sense, you could say, oh, they've got their name written in the book of life. But that's only kind of like us looking at the evidence of that particular situation. It's a little bit like Paul. There's one other reference where Paul uses this concept of the book of life, and he talks about uh, his fellow workers. So it's in Philippians 4 verse 3. He talks about his fellow workers are people who have their names written in the book of life. Okay, so he knows by looking at people, he sees the fruit of the spirit evident in their life. And so he concludes their names are written in the book of life. Okay, so in a sense, you can talk about people through their fruit. We can make a conclusion that they're in the book of life. From our perspective, it might look like, oh, before they weren't believers, now they've become believers. So, you know, in a sense, they've change from before they looked like they didn't have their name written in the book of life to now it looks like you've got evidence of it at least that their name is written in the book of life okay i think we can sort of talk that way but you don't get any real examples of that in the scriptures of you know someone being added in so Mm. really it goes back to god's choice before creation does that make sense yeah I, i think that that makes sense so the the choice to write people in happened yep. before creation that's not changing yep. but yep. the uh choice to blot people out can happen during someone's lifetime yes um yeah like it's i think you've got to understand the image here it's it's sort of looking at things a little bit from god's perspective as well as our perspective mm. um like i'm sure from the very beginning god knows those whose names he's written in whose names are always going to stay in Okay, he knows that. But really the point of this image is, you know, if you've got the fruit of believing in Jesus and the gospel, uh, holding on to the faith, perseverance, all of this, if that's evident in your life, then it's meant to be an encouragement. Hey, you've got your name written in the book of life, so continue on. And so that's really the main encouragement here. It's also a kind of a warning too, I think, because the idea is, if you don't persevere in the faith, well, this kind of status that you may have had, it's going to be taken away. Yeah. So it's a bit of a warning as well. Yeah. And and I think that's probably getting into the answer for the next question as well. Um, can we tell our names are written in the book of life? So you've already um, talked about seeing evidence from someone's life yeah. um, to yeah. kind of give us a good idea if someone has their name written in the book of life. Yeah, so basically the idea I think in the scriptures is if you're a believer in Jesus and you're part of the body of Christ somewhere and you're in good standing with God's people, you know, the the leaders of God's people or the community that you're a part of there, they're not saying, oh, you've got a problem with your faith or with your life, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If you, Sure, we... Uh, struggle and and sin on a daily basis but if you're concerned to live for god and you're concerned to repent of sin and you're heading in the right direction you're making some kind of spiritual progress there's nothing obvious in your life which is a kind of rebellion against god or a rejection of god then in that situation you can conclude and the church community can conclude that you are one of God's people. There's the fruit of the spirit evident in your life to some extent. And, and so therefore, the a bit like Paul, what did Paul do? His fellow workers, he concluded 
on the basis of them being keen for the gospel that they had their names written in a book of life. So we can make the same assumption as well. But it's important to persevere. Mm. Um, a bit of a tangent, but um, what do you think that means for um, people with, well, I guess everyone has hidden sins, but people, I guess, with maybe deep, deeper or besetting hidden sins, like we, we've had that story of Ravi Zacharias yeah, um, yeah. in the past few months where on the surface of it all, you definitely think that his name is written in the book of life. Uh, yeah. Then after he dies, there's uh, revelations about um, various sins. Um, mm. And I guess to some extent, it's not really like we can't put all this together and really tell if someone's name is written in the book of life. But what what yeah. influence do you think um, hidden sins, which we all struggle with, um, and we're all very good at hiding, of course, mm. uh, how, how much do you think that kind of, um, I don't know, influences or is taken into account when we're trying to figure out if someone's name is written in the book of life? Yeah. And this yes. is obviously speculation, right? Like it's yes, not, true. Not like in the end, it's God who makes these decisions. It's yeah. God who knows. Uh, but as the church community, in particular leaders of God's church, in the New Testament, we definitely do see that there's this concept of church discipline. And what they mean by that is we're wanting to make sure that everyone who's a member, an official member of the church, is actually someone who is genuinely engrafted into Christ and who genuinely has the work of the Spirit in their life. Now, we know that there's not going to be a 100% match-up with the church here on earth, with the church as it will be on the day of judgment after God's made his decision. But as much as we can, the church here is meant to be in the context of grace and forgiveness of sins, all of that, seeking to encourage the membership of the church here on earth to model what's going to be there on the day of judgment. And so, therefore, the church should be on the lookout, should be concerned about the eternal fate, you could say, of everyone who's a member of the church. And if there are people who are obviously uh, struggling with sin, uh, then the church needs to help people. But having said that, all of us struggle, okay? And I would say part of the work of the Spirit is it's almost like I would say uh, the Spirit, it's a little bit like our hearts. I would picture it as a bit like a hotel, I guess, with lots of different rooms. And it seems to me at times that, uh, people have particular rooms where there's a lot of skeletons perhaps in that room or rubbish and sometimes we don't want the spirit to open up the door of that room and so there might be a bit of a struggle that we have but ultimately if the spirit's doing his work he's going to be tapping on that door he's going to be seeking to open it up and there may be a time when he focuses on that room cleans it up and then may move to a slightly different area of your life, but then you might find, oh, there's still rubbish going into that room. <laughs> so there's, there's just the struggle, the struggle with sin. I think that's a good sign in a way because it means there's a sanctification process there. Like at least if the person is concerned about, okay, I'm sinning here, I realise, and if you're mm -hmm. seeking to bring that before the Lord, you may find that you're failing more than what you're succeeding, but the more and more as you give it over to God, there should be some measure of progress there, okay, over time. We're talking about the, the bigger frame here. Uh, day to day or month to month, maybe you have a good month, but then you can really 
get caught up in this particular sin. And what tends to happen, I think, is people have particular sins that seem to be a bit more pervasive than others or stronger. They have a kind of stronger hold on the person than other types of sin. And it probably often goes back to childhood experiences and how you dealt with things like that. So I think um, the church, all that the church can really do is just seek to encourage people along. And so the case of Ravi there, that's a difficult one, isn't it? Because on the outside, it's looking like things are going okay. But then you find out there's this hidden sin here. Now, the church can't really do much about that, particularly if the person's already passed away. But in the end, it's up to God to decide. And he's hoping that Ravi actually had a genuine Christian faith and despite his weaknesses, Mm. he was actually bringing those things before the Lord and seeking forgiveness. Mm. Yeah, I'm not sure if there's anything else you think we should add into that in terms of that tangent that you... (laughs) Uh, no, I think I think you've covered it really um, comprehensively. Uh, there's, I, I guess, it kind of um, pushes us to rely on God's good judgment as well. Yeah, like, yeah all these it's God's kind decision, of, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. He's the he's the one that's written the names in the book of life, and yeah, we like, really have to partly... trust that he's. Yeah, yeah and, and partly Jesus says you can know them by their fruit. But also he says, uh, like in Matthew 7, there are people who call him Lord, Lord, and who on the outside they look like they're doing the Lord's work, but God can say, look, I never knew you. Never knew you. Yeah. So there can be people who look like they're sheep, but inside yeah. they're really wolves. Yeah. Now, in that situation, it's difficult for the church to be able to decide between the two. Yeah. And whenever church discipline takes place, it's always in the context of grace anyway. So if we err one side, it should be on the, the erring, I guess, on the side of grace if we don't fully know the situation. Mm. So, But in the end, yeah, we need to trust in God that he's the good judge, a God of justice and compassion, and that he will make his decision. That's one of the things that we should be looking forward to actually on the day of judgment, that his church is going to be revealed, mm. you know, his true church. Um, and it's something that we, you know, there'll be surprises on that day. I'm expecting that there'll be people that we perhaps thought weren't in, but who are actually in, and actually people who we thought were in who are actually not. But in the end, that's actually up to God, and his perfect judgment will be revealed on that day. Yeah, it's, um, I think it's, uh, it can be scary um, to apply that this whole topic to yourself where it's like, oh, I don't know if I am uh, yeah, like yeah. How, how much, like how much of me is kind of. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I don't even know how like, to phrase the question. Well, the issue really is, isn't it? In order to experience eternal life, that's on the condition of faith, isn't it? So the question always is, and this is what some people struggle with, particularly people who are maybe, tend to be anxious about things. Maybe they're anxious about their own self or their eternal destiny. Do I have faith? And if I have faith, even how much faith is faith? You know what I mean? So we, we can get ourselves in a tangle here. Mm. Uh, we've got to realise that God is a compa- God of compassion, a God of mercy. He's a God of grace. 
And so when we look at ourselves, we need to look at ourselves in the context of that as well. So basically, we should know. We really should know. Each individual should know. Are you taking this relationship with God seriously or not? I think in the end, that's what it comes down to. Sure, we have our ups and downs. We have our bad days and perhaps even good days. But in the end, are you taking this seriously or not? I think you really should know. Yeah. Yeah. And that's... In the end, the question, I think, uh, it's the faith commitment. And that faith commitment, as Jesus said, it, you know, faith can be just as small as a mustard seed. As long as there's a little bit of a sign of life there, that qualifies you. That's faith. That's the work of the spirit. So it's a little bit like when the seed goes in the ground. God doesn't really, well, he, he, he does want to see fruitfulness. He does want to see growth, right? But in terms of who gets in on the final day? It's the person who has had growth up until the final day. All right. So it doesn't matter how much growth it is. It could be a one millimeter of growth or it could be 10 centimeters of growth, but there's life, there's spiritual life. As long as that life has been maintained up until that person's final day, like when they die or if Jesus returns then I think that's the qualification. They have died as a believer. They have died as a person of faith or met Jesus as a person of faith. So it's not so much in terms of getting in, if you want to put it that way. It's a little bit crass to talk about it that way. But in terms of being in the kingdom on the final day, there needs to be spirit-induced life in that person, which has persevered till the end, whatever the end is for that person. I think that's the only qualification, right? So in other words, an active, ongoing life of faith. Yeah. I think maybe it's um, put taking the idea of the book of life and putting it in that context is really helpful. So I guess in that context, being having our names written in the book of life since before creation yeah. is a, a reassurance that um, God has kind of chosen you, uh, has put that faith in you. And then yes, the, so the warning of having it blotted out is a call to perseverance to yes. maintain that faith and keep going. Yeah, and then maybe yeah. reading too much more into that is uh, it's possible that we can figure out some stuff, but maybe taking it out of its original intention. Yeah. I think what can happen is people, they tend to be either not critical enough of themselves mm-hmm. or else they're too critical. So the people who aren't critical enough, they're overlooking sin and perhaps not seeking to make sure that their walk with God is a close one. Whereas other people, and maybe this is the problem that perhaps the majority of Christians might have, is that they're overly critical of themselves. Like you know your failures. And while it's good to ask the question, you know, is my faith genuine or not, that decision that God will make about a person's faith is always going to be in the context of grace. And Mm. so we need to apply grace to ourselves as well. Mm. And so for some people, I would say to them, don't be so critical of yourself. Remember grace and just keep on moving forward. Yeah. 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 I guess. And those two people need to hear those uh, maybe need to emphasize the two different messages differently. So yeah. The yeah. one who is overly critical needs to really hear that their name's been written in the book of life since before creation. 
and the one yeah. who's not critical enough needs to be reminded that their name can be blotted out as well. Yeah. And so like applying it to our congregation, people are coming along the church, well, for various different reasons, but I'm sure a lot of it is because you want to learn more about God because you're keen in terms of your faith walk with God. And so I would say looking at the majority of people in our congregation, in fact, I'd probably say everyone who's there, the assumption is, the assumption that I would make is your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life and we should be rejoicing in that fact. Mm. Yeah. But make sure you persevere. Yeah. So much more to say, but we better uh, keep <laughs> Move moving. Otherwise, we're going to have to do another Zoom call to answer yeah. the questions we don't get to in this one. Um, third question. So will God judge us according to our works? What happens if we do good and God will still banish us? That might be what happens if we do good and God, mm. will God still banish us? Will there be second chances? Okay, we did say that the Bible consistently teaches that on the day of judgment, there'll be a judgment of everyone and that judgment will be a judgment according to works. In other words, our deeds, what we've done in this life, God will take those things into account. Now, I would say what God is looking for in terms of believers is, in a sense, he's looking for growth. He's looking for the fruit of the spirit. Uh, Paul in Colossians and Philippians can pray for those churches and he prays, in effect, this is in the beginning chapters, of those books where he prays that on the day of judgment, in effect, that they will be able to be presented before the Lord without spot and blameless. Think about Ephesians 5 where there's this image of husband and wife as Christ in the church, and Paul talks about how Christ is going to sanctify his church in order that his church might be presented to him without spot on the wedding day. All right, so we're meant to be preparing ourselves for that day and God is looking for fruit. And as there is fruit, that is something that the saints and the angels in heaven will be rejoicing over on that day. So I think, sure, there's things we'll be ashamed of. There are things that we will, in a sense, fear being maybe revealed on that day. But that's an encouragement for us to make sure that we make progress in this life so that in the end, God is glorified, right? This is ultimately for God's glory. His people are there on that day. He wants to see his bride beautiful. This should be encouraging us on here. So I think when it's this judgment of works, we've got to keep that in mind, right? It's not just I do this, I do ABC in order to try and live eternally. Well, Part of that's like that, right? God will take into account what people have done. Um, but remember, we did say that ultimately what decides whether a person's in or not, okay? It's whether their name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So when this question comes up, what I normally say to people is in terms of uh, our relationship with God, a helpful thing to think about is that we're in a covenant relationship with God. We often don't think that, but we're part of the new covenant, aren't we? What does that mean? Well, God is wanting to see covenant commitment. It's a bit like a marriage between husband and wife. They need to be committed to each other. So what is God going to see on the final day, what he's looking for? Hopefully, he's going to see some kind of commitment to him. Now, in terms of the details, in terms of how much we've sinned, and there are differences between people, by the way, in terms of seriousness of sin and how much people have sinned, all of that 
we have suggested once before, I remember we had a bit of a discussion, didn't we, about degrees of blessing in heaven and degrees of punishment in hell. Well, I think this is where this comes in, right? So this detailed look at a person's life, in a sense, that's going to be matched up with their eternal state somehow, okay? So I'm not saying that uh, people have to be good to get to a certain level to get in. Remember, I'm not saying that. I'm saying in order to be written in the Lamb's Book of Life, what is God looking for? He's looking for life, even if it's just one millimeter of growth, all right? So it's not how good you are that gets you in, right? That's not really the issue. The question is, is there life? Is the spirit in your heart? Is the word of God written within? That's what gets you in. But then in terms of working out your degree of responsibility in heaven or actually the position you will be, okay, say for people who have gone the other way, the degree of punishment that they're going to experience, God actually looks detailed at each person's life and works out what is fair and just in each and every situation. So even the degrees of justice, if you want to put it that way, mm. God's going to look at that. He's going to take that into consideration. And I think that's where the judgment of works comes in there. He's looking at a person's life mm. and their eternal destiny is going to match up with what's fair and right or how they have treated him and other people. Okay, so in terms of the judgment of works, then a good place to look is uh, Matthew 25 where Jesus got the parable of the talents. He's also got the parable of the sheep and goats. So Jesus talks about people are going to be judged on how they treat Jesus and his brothers and sisters or how they use the gifts and responsibilities that God has given them in this life, whether they're using them for him or not. Uh, so hopefully does that uh, answer the question? There's something about second chances, isn't there? Yeah. Uh, so I guess basically in answer to that question, if we do God, God will still banish us. Well, we shouldn't be thinking that way, I think, because if we do good, well, the question is, how do you define doing good? In other words, if you put it this way, if there is the evidence of the spirit at work in your life, then obviously God's going to accept you on that day. You'll be welcomed into the kingdom because he's been at work in your life and he's had this relationship with you, which is going to continue on into eternity. Mm. So... Yeah, we shouldn't really be thinking, I think, in terms of how that question is putting it there. Uh, we shouldn't be scared that God's an angry old man who wants to send everyone to hell. He's a God of compassion. If he started to work in your life, then the expectation is as we persevere, then that's going to grow into a relationship which will develop for eternity. And that's something great to look forward to. So in terms of second chances, what do you understand about that one there, John? I, th I think What's they're asking, I guess if you follow, follow the flow of thought of the question is, if you do good and we're banished into hell, I think, is there okay. a second chance once you're in hell? I think that's what the question might be. Yeah, okay. Well, we did answer that one previously, yeah, I think. I think yeah, so. Yeah, in the time before this particular session. Yeah. And I did say, yes, the Bible is very strong on the idea that once you hit the day of judgment, God's made a final decision, and that's actually eternal destiny of people determined at that moment in time. So if you've been sent to the lake of fire, no second chances. Yep. Um, good segue into the next question. 
how do we know what hell is like? So you've already mentioned there's degrees of punishment. There's no yeah. second chances. What else do we know about hell? We know it's a terrible place. <laughs> yeah. It's any description that's there in the Bible is talking about it as a terrible place. That's either uh, described as an ongoing fire or a lake of uh, sulfur and fire. So a bit like being in the middle of a volcano eternally, which doesn't sound good. Jesus describes it as a place where the worms are like eating your body, a bit like worms, I guess, attacking a dead body eternally. Worms are just writhing and never stop writhing. So basically it's a terrible place. It's a place in which God's prep, his positive presence, if I put it that way, like the positive presence of experiencing God's blessing and experiencing his favour is totally withdrawn. So remember how God talks about the blessing of life. Uh, in Israel, he said, you know, follow me, follow my word, uh, live this way, and you will experience life. If not, you'll experience death. So the total opposite of life and blessing, basically, is what hell is. I assume it's a dark place, even though there are fires there. Basically, it's a place that you don't want to go and a place that we don't want anyone to go, which is pretty awesome thinking about, isn't it? It's scary, I admit that, but it, when we think about it, maybe we shouldn't think about it too much, but when we do think about it, it really highlights to me the awesome justice and power of God. Mm. So it's a scary place. It's hard to kind of imagine the extremes of heaven and hell because I guess like in this life we kind of experience a bit of both yeah. um, throughout, uh, yeah, like judgment and blessing and yes. mixes of different things. And then I guess in heaven or the new creation we're experiencing only the good and then in hell we're experiencing only the bad. Yep. So it's hard, yeah, hard to go to black and white extremes in our imagination mm. um a follow-on question of that which i've just forgotten that's uh, right i was just thinking oh, in, in terms of hell just yep. think about the worst possible situation you want to be in and then just times it by <laughs> a million and then think of never ever getting out of it like imagine for those of you who are claustrophobic you know, being yeah. in a claustrophobic location and just yeah. thought of never, ever being able to get out is terrible. The other thing I'd just say too, even though there are degrees of punishment in hell, basically anyone who's there is not going to be enjoying the experience. So it's a place you don't want to go. Yeah. yeah. Um, I remembered the, the question I was going to ask. Um, yep. the, I think there's a common um, thought out there that, uh, hell is the absence of God. So in heaven, you're with God. In hell, it's the absence of God. Do you want to clarify? Um, do you want to clarify your thoughts on that, or do you want to share your thoughts? Yeah, on that? it's an interesting one. That one, like, I'd probably go with the idea. So it's Psalm 139, something like that, where basically, even in the midst of darkness, even in the midst of Sheol, God is still there. So I tend to think God fills all in all. He fills the whole universe. Now, hell is going to be somewhere in the universe, right? So I'm assuming God is there. But what you're going to see is you're going to see 
the powerful, scary side of God rather than the positive, what can we say, life-giving force of God. Mm. So, yeah, I probably wouldn't go for it. It's a place where God isn't. But what I would say is it's a place where any semblance of his life-giving presence is not felt and his blessing is totally withdrawn. Mm. So, in other words, it's a place of God's curse. Not necessarily so absence. That sort of suggests, yeah, not necessarily absence per mm. se. Yeah, God's spirit fills all in all. And mm. partly I would say God's spirit will be there to meet out eternal justice. Yeah, actually, you kind thought, of. Anyway. Yeah, that's my thoughts. Yeah. But I'm not I sure if anything. You, you have to read between the lines a little bit, I think, in scripture to get to that yeah. point. But I think that probably makes more sense. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's where I would land as well. And just um, just thinking on what you said then, um, I guess you kind of need God's presence to have justice as well, if, if hell is a place of justice. Yeah, it's pictured as banishment. So you can picture it as being far away from the presence of God. Mm. Um, so the idea is the closer you are to God, as long as you're received in by God favourably, the closer you are to God, the better it is, the closer you are to life and blessing. So there's this idea of banishment, definitely. But the further you push away, then it's actually now becoming dark and negative. Yeah. So in it, that still implies, I think, there's God still there, but you're just so far away that you're experiencing the total opposite of life and blessing. Um, very interesting and scary to think about. Yeah, yeah. Um, a little thanks, steve to to fill in the halfway point of this Q&A. That's all right. <laughs> uh, next question. What about children born to non-believers? And from memory, this is probably coming off a question of uh, children. What happens to children who die prematurely before they have a chance to, you know, um, yes. hear the gospel or whatever? Uh, and I think your answer was that was to have us think in a covenant relationship where... Yeah. The covenant yeah. blessings flow down through the family. Yes, uh, through the family line. Yeah. So then, I guess this question is: What if you're not in that covenant? If that in that covenant family, what happens to children born to those people? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the expectation, I guess, is when you read the scriptures, there's not really much that it says that's positive. I think, of people who are outside the covenant. Mm. So like the example would be, say, Old Testament times. We know that people of Israel are in a covenant with God. Now, being in a covenant with God is a good thing. You're in a special relationship with God. But you've got to respond positively to the word of God. You've got to have it written in your heart in order for the blessings to be experienced. So in other words, there could be some people who are in a covenant relationship who are actually breaking that covenant and they're going to experience the covenant curses. Right, So being in a covenant is a good thing, but you've got to be responding. You've got to be persevering. Now, what about those people who aren't part of the covenant? So in other words, Old Testament times, you've got Israel who are part of the covenant. What about the Gentiles, the nations outside? 
Well, the Bible actually views those as being nations which were living in darkness. So it's hard to be able to suggest, I think, that those nations or anyone part of those nations or descended from them are going to experience anything positive. Although I would say that the less you know, the less that's been revealed to you, the less severely, in a sense, God is going to punish you for not responding to his word. So in other words, a covenant breaker will be punished a lot more than someone who's outside the covenant who obviously doesn't respond to God because they haven't really been told much about God. But the thing is, with the coming of the new covenant, we now get the covenant opened up. It's not just restricted now to Israel, but one of the good things about the new covenant is we actually get the nations being invited in. Okay, And it just so happens in God's structure of human history, and I think it reflects his sense of mercy and grace, the time in human history where most people are actually living in the world is actually the time when there's an opportunity for all the nations to be part of this covenant relationship with God. So, yeah, what you said was there's this expectation that uh, those who are part of the covenant, if they're responding to God, then blessing will be there. But I think overall, biblically, people who are outside the covenant, I wouldn't want to say that uh, the children of non-believers are going to be saved. There are some Christians who do say that, and they just say it on the basis of God's a God of compassion. Well, I know God's a God of compassion, but I think you probably need something in Scripture to be able to indicate what happens to the children of of non-believers i think overall when you look at it the expectation is they're children of wrath as paul would say they're children of wrath they're born into darkness and so there's no real expectation okay but with the idea of degrees of punishment which i've talked about before then my expectation is for children like that they you know what's the extent of their rebellion against god what have they actually known not much so the degree, if they do go into hell, the degree of punishment there will be a lot less severe compared to someone who has known the gospel and rejected it, someone like Judas, I guess you could say, unless Judas repented right at the end. But, mm. yeah. Does that make sense? It's yeah. A, I, I, I can't see how we can be totally confident at that point. Yeah. Mm. I, I, yeah, I think it does. And I think it's more consistent with yeah I, I don't think you find anything in the bible that gives you a strong confidence that children of non-believers would go to heaven and i think that's that's probably hard to take because we i think as humans babies or, are cute in a way. yeah but yeah babies <laughs> are cute it feels like they haven't done anything wrong yeah and we kind of want to give everyone a fair shot. I don't know if that's like a, a human thing or a Western thing or an Australian thing or whatever. Yeah. But it feels like at that point, not everyone's getting a fair shot. Um, it's true. It feels that way. But the Bible would say at that point, everyone who has experienced some life, you know, has experienced something of God's, goodness and grace even though that baby's only lasted say like a few days but being born into the world there's something there of god's grace but then yeah the question is well then why after that do we have this negative future for this child and in the end i think it really just comes back to the question of predestination 
And Paul would answer, this is like Romans 9 and 10, Paul basically says this is in order for us to know God as he truly is in terms of his power, his wrath, as well as his mercy and his grace. So that's why there's this distinction, I guess you could say, between those who are in and those who are out. It's an awful thing to think about, but it's actually who God is. You know, he created this world for a particular purpose and he's actually created this world in order for us to get to know him better. And sadly, in a way, but also awesomely in another way, the way that we get to know God better is by there being two different groups of people with two different destinies. And we might want to say that's unfair, but is it unfair? Like, and what the Bible would say, and this is Paul once again, Romans 9, we actually don't have the right to question what God is going to do with his creation. And when you think about that, it's hard to accept, right? But logically, it's true. God, God could have created this world and sent everyone to hell. He could have done that if he wanted to. Mm. But he's designed the world in the way that he has, ultimately, so that we might get to know him better. So, in other words, we don't just experience the lovey-dovey parts of God, but we also experience those scary parts of God as well, which is, I think that's the area where we've just got to say, well, that's, that's awesome, right? We still use the word awesome. But what's the difference between awe and being scared? <laughs> you know what I mean? There's, there's a, it's a fine line at that point. Mm. Now, God doesn't want us totally scared out of our wits or whatever, but there's something about God being big and powerful that we need to acknowledge and not treat lightly. Yeah. And this kind of doctrine and this kind of situation, I think, brings this up. Who are we to question God? Yeah. It, yeah, I guess it requires a like a reordering of how we understand the world and creation and us like if we if we really are created. And I I still struggle with this, so if anyone that's listening is struggling with this like I think it's normal, it's fine. Yeah. Um like if we if we really have been created um nothing of our own doing we've been given life and the life isn't even our own then i guess the person that created us can do like literally whatever they want with us yeah um and that that's kind of hard to grasp and hard to to handle i think it pushes against a lot of um cultural assumptions yeah in some ways we all want to think we're important and the human race is important and yeah it's true. We are important. Okay. That's partly biblical teaching that we are important, but does our importance mean we get to decide how the world works compared to the God who created everything? Do you know what I mean? Like at that point, instead of looking at things from our perspective, let's try looking at things from God's perspective and realize that, okay, we're important and God acknowledges that importance. He became one of us. 
but don't let your importance start to make you get a big head here, right? In comparison to God, you're nothing. Really, we're nothing. We're nothing in comparison to God. So the fact that we're important, that's solely because of God's grace at that point. Yeah. So, and that's, that's to me, that's mind-blowing, but it's also scary, I admit. But it's yeah. humbling. It's humbling. It humbles us before the Lord Almighty, and I think that's where we need to be. Yeah. Important but not sovereign, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Very tough to handle. Yes. Hopefully we can... Well, hopefully people are still with us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, hopefully a quick one for you. Which Bible passage mentions where the name in the book of life can be erased? Was that was that in this passage? No, it wasn't in this passage. So I did mention it's Revelation 3, 5. Oh, 3, 5. Yeah, yeah. Revelation 3, 5. The one and who's so the victorious. Basic... Yeah. Sorry, the one who's victorious like them. Will <laughs> sorry, the one who is victorious will like them be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but I'll acknowledge them, I'll acknowledge that name before my father and his angels. Okay. Yeah, so you can see that it implies there can be blotting out. Yeah. Okay, so in other words, through perseverance, our name is preserved in the book of life, if you want to put it that way. Okay, but I would say that's the work of the spirit who encourage us on and as the spirit writes god's word in our hearts then we're able to persevere and to be victorious so in other words it's there really as an encouragement to keep on persevering isn't it and as a warning Mm. not to give up and go the other way Mm. um this is a comment matthew 7 23 comes to mind uh you actually brought that up before i think that's the lord yes Yep. Um, and he says, I never knew you. Uh, I'm not sure what that's in reference to, but um, just funny that you actually brought it up and someone else has had the same thought. Yeah, it might be in relation to judgment according to works, perhaps. Um, but there are some people who uh, look like they've been living God's way, but actually, God knows there they haven't been so yeah so you i think i brought it up in relation to the how do we know how do we know who's written in the book of life now that we we can be deceived at times Mm. on the outside they might look all right but internally god knows yeah yeah um last question steve what happens to those who reject god their whole life but then accept God in their last moment before they leave this world. So maybe a happier answer than some of the other ones you've given us. (laughs) Yeah. So going back, remember the parable of the sower. I think the parable of the sower is really good here because it helps explain a lot of things. You know, there's some people hear the word, but reject it straight away. There are two other categories of people who hear the word and there is some growth for a certain period of time, but then it gets snuffed out. Right. But then Jesus talks about the person who receives the word and then there's growth and growth to a harvest. And he also talks about different types of harvest, doesn't he? Like, or at least the amount of harvest. It can be what are the numbers that he uses, 60, 70, 80, something like that anyway, different, different amounts of harvest that might be there. So he's not saying everyone's going to be the same in terms of the fruit they have, but they've had growth 
Okay, so I think this applies to this situation here. As long as there has been some growth that endures until the end, that person's going to be okay. So in other words, someone who's rejected God their whole life but then accepted him in their last moment, they're going to be okay. But I would say in terms of, once again, this doctrine of degrees of blessing in heaven, I would say, well, this person's probably going to be further away compared to closer in. Do you know what I mean? Like God looks at this person, he says, well, you had your whole life. You had your whole life to get to know me, but right at the end, you know, you made this decision. Okay, that's fine. Welcome into the kingdom. But, you know, compared to someone who maybe slaved away preaching the gospel and actually gave up their life for the cause of the kingdom, you see how there's a difference there? And so I think God will acknowledge those things even in the eternal state. And I think maybe adding to that, I, I it doesn't feel like it all the time, but I, I think it's true. Um, and I, I think I found it true in my life that living God's way in this life is a better option as well. Like, Oh, definitely. I think, yeah, I think some people have the the thought or the plan to like do whatever they want for their whole lives and just go crazy um, with what they want yeah. in this world and how the world lives and then just accept God in that last minute. Well, how do you know what your last minute is? Will you have enough well, time to be able to do that? That's a problem, right? Like you could yeah. get hit by a bus straight away, instantaneously gone. Yeah. You know, haven't had time to repent or anything. So there's that danger. Yeah. But also just think about it in terms of the fruitfulness of your life as well. Remember on the last day, God's looking for fruit. And to some extent, the, the amount of fruit that's there is going to get matched up eternally in terms of the eternal state, the amount of responsibility that you'll have. And so the person who has this deathbed conversion, okay, that's fine, but uh, they've just made it in. And yeah. in some ways they might not have any fruit at all. Yeah. And in fact, it reminds me of uh, Paul. He has this, is it 1 Corinthians? I think it's in 1 Corinthians where he talks about uh, different preachers who are preaching the gospel and the kind of fruit that they might um, sort of uh, develop as part of their ministry but it's interesting because paul talks about himself and he says this is so 1 corinthians 3 verses 10 and following and this is from the esv this one so i'll just read it out he says according to the grace of god given to me like a skilled master builder i've laid a foundation and someone else is building on it so he's paul's actually in a sense talking about himself as a skilled master builder he's served the lord well here now other people are preaching the gospel and building on his work, okay? Uh, Paul doesn't mind that as long as they're preaching Jesus Christ, he says. But then in verse 12, says 1 Corinthians 3, verse 12, now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, notice this next verse, verse 13, each one's work will become manifest on the final day, on the day of judgment. It's going to be revealed by fire. So in other words, the person's work is actually going to be tested on that day. And as long as your work survives, you're going to be received with the reward, it says in verse 14. But notice the warning in verse 15. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. So it's like he's totally unfruitful, right? <laughs> So he's going to suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, it says, but only as through fire. 
So it's like they've got singed on the way in. They've just scraped in, basically. If you're serving the Lord, but you really haven't produced any fruit, you just scrape in, really. That's what Paul's saying here. So I think this also, you know, a person who's been producing gold for God compared to a person who's been producing wood or someone who's just produced a tiny little seed, right? (laughs) There's distinctions that are being made here that Paul's talking about. And obviously the encouragement is build in such a way or serve God in such a way that you are being fruitful, Mm. that you're producing the best possible as the spirit enables you to keep on serving God. It's meant to be an encouragement to to keep on serving God. Mm. So just moseying along, you know, taking it easy or whatever, not taking it seriously, this relationship with God. Our decisions today, they in a sense have eternal significance. That's really what Paul's saying here. Which yeah, is, like, we don't really think that way, do we? Often, I feel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we don't. We're not good at thinking long term, as probably as humans in general. I think um, yeah. very much in the moment or in the short term. Um, I guess just to reiterate the kind of theme that we've had throughout this whole um, second Q and A, there's like this really tough balance between like works and um, faithfulness i guess maybe i think that applies here as well like i guess we're not really in full control of the results of our work like we don't know how much fruit this action will bring Mm. um and and that's got to so i don't i i guess i'm saying don't um don't Don't be too critical yeah don't don't kick yourself if your best intentions and your best efforts result in little fruit Um, What we need to do is to try and view ourselves as God views us, right? And God views us, he sees, well, he actually sees more of the sin than probably what we see ourselves. But at the same time, he's viewing his children graciously, right? Mm. So whenever we self-critique, there needs to be grace there as well. Mm. Yeah, interesting. I I guess we'd have to exegete this passage a bit closer. I'm just rereading it. But um, their work will be shown for what it is. So I don't know if that's work as in the work that they put in or the workers in the result or whatever might be an yeah, interesting I think it's like the quality of their service he's talking about people who are preaching the gospel here but right. i think it it the principle applies across the board to all of god's people in a sense in terms of how you serve god all right so it's not so much how effective you are in serving god i don't think that's the issue here but it's mm. it's how you serve god in terms of what you give to him you know, the quality, in a sense, of your service that you give to him. That's mm-hmm. what's important here and we're in being encouraged to serve God, in a sense, with all that we have. You know, the more of that where we can do, the better it is, rather than the person who's, like, half-hearted or the person who's not really concerned. You know what I mean? Yep. So, and we know that there are some people who are really keen for the Lord and some who aren't. Yep. Well, God pays attention to those differences. It's not to say the person who's... Uh, just bumbling along won't be saved it's like here they, they, they will scrape through in god's grace they scrape through but really god wants to see fruitfulness so the question is for us what are we seeking to do in terms of how we use our time in terms of what we learn to prepare ourselves to be able to develop grow and produce fruit for god he wants to see that on the final day Oh, that's a uh, that was an intense Q and A. I don't know. Yes, know a lot of, we just uh, might raise a lot of other questions too. I don't know, but uh, 
And I should say that, well, being honest, there'll be some Christians out there or Christian leaders out there who probably not agree with what I'm saying with some of these things here. But in the end, you've got to go to the text. You've got to go to the biblical text and see what the biblical text is saying and try and explain it the best logically, you know, best way that's logically consistent with the totality of what's there in the Bible. So if anyone has any further questions, yeah, feel free to let John know or, you know, these are ongoing discussions. We should be talking about these things with each other because it's only through that that we get to learn and grow together. Yeah, absolutely, Steve. Thanks so much for your time. That's Um, all right. Thanks for having me. No worries. I'll catch you soon again. I'm sure you'll be preaching at HBCC soon. Possibly. We'll see. (laughs) (laughs) All right. See you later, Steve. Okay. See you, John.